So we're in the middle of a series uh, called Summer Reset, and we're looking at 12 different spiritual rhythms or practices. And one of the rhythms and practices that if you have a church background, you knew was going to be part of this series at some point is reading the Bible. Now, all of us have different experiences when it comes to reading the Bible. All of us um, grew up, you know, whether you grew up in church or not, you grew up with a different expectation of the Bible. When you open up the Bible, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you have an expectation of the Bible that you bring to the Bible. And that expectation that you have impacts the way that you read the Bible. Now, I grew up in a church that uh, their phrase was that they were founded on the Word. So the Bible was the most important thing. In fact, I often joke that we didn't really, our Trinity wasn't God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Bible. Like they, it was that big of a deal. So that was the environment that I grew up in. So I had expectations when it came to the Bible. And I was taught that you're supposed to get up early, you're supposed to read the Bible before, it's, before the sun comes up because that's what Jesus did. Jesus went out when it was dark and he prayed. So I remember in college sitting, I, I set my alarm as a freshman in college because I talked to a whole bunch of older Christians. They said, you know, I get up before the sun is up. Well, what I didn't realize as an, as an 18-year-old is the reason they got up before the sun was up is because they were just already up, okay? So I, I, didn't, under, I didn't understand that at 18. And so I set my alarm. I got up. I fell asleep reading the Bible. I was late for my class. The, the teacher didn't care that I fell asleep reading the Bible. He didn't take that as an excuse for being late, even though I went to a Christian college. And I thought, man, like, this, there should be some grace for that, but apparently not. Apparently, he's heard that excuse before. And so, but then I, I felt bad about it, and then I, I just stopped reading the Bible. I just gave up. Now, if you have, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have probably at some point in your life made the goal of reading the Bible more. You've probably just said, you know what, I, I wish I could read the Bible more. I want to read the Bible more. So you set a goal and you say, you know, this is the year. I'm going to read through the entire Bible. And you do pretty good because Genesis is fun to read. And Exodus is pretty interesting. And then you get to Leviticus. And you're like, what in the world? There's like blood and there's goats and there's rams. And then there's like they're building things and you're, and you're lost and you just give up. And then you go, well, you know what? Maybe it's, maybe it's just Leviticus. I read Numbers. That's got to be interesting. And it's just numbers. It's just people. It's just, and so then we wonder, well, what is even the point? Now, here's the funny thing about the Bible. We, the Bible, the way we interact with it is really different than any other book. I mean, think, for example, if you have a friend who becomes a follower of Jesus, and they say, hey, I want to start reading the Bible. Do you know what you tell them? You go, don't start at the beginning. What other book do we tell people to start two-thirds of the way through? That's what we do with the Bible. It's just so different. And we put all this pressure on it, right? Because we have this idea that, like, I, you know, I've got to read for this amount of time, and, like, it's got to be this kind of experience. And if I don't, like, Instagram it with my coffee and tea and my journal, like, I didn't do it right. And so we have all this, like, angst about the Bible, and then we go to our small groups, and people are like, oh, you know, I read through the Bible twice this year. And you're like, oh, my goodness, like, I, 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 I did it once this week. And we feel bad about that. Now, here's the reality. Okay, I'll just, I'll confess for all of us, okay? So there are, there are seasons in my life where I read the Bible, 
every morning, and it's amazing, and God, like the heavens open, and it's incredible. And then there are days I read the Bible, and I'm like, I, I didn't get anything out of this. I have no idea what is even going on. And then there's whole days, weeks, where, where I just don't read it because I, my life gets busy, and I just let it go by. Now, if you're judging me, it's okay. Like, you can do that. Like, but, but the reality is, this is one of a number of different ways that we connect with God. It is not the only way to connect with God. It is the primary way that we know God, but you can know God through creation. Romans 1 says that creation shouts the glory of God, that it is obvious who our creator is through creation, that we can know God through creation, which is why one of the spiritual rhythms we're going to talk about is walking outside. Okay? So, Reading the Bible is the primary way that we know who God is, but it's not the only way. Now, don't, here's what I don't want you to hear. You're, some of you are going to walk in and be like, Josh said we didn't have to read the Bible. Students, don't tell your parents that. You did not hear that. It is the primary way that we learn who God is, but it's not the only way. And so this is really important. Reading the Bible matters. Reading the Bible is not as mystical and difficult as we make it out to be, as we're going to see. The goal that we have when it comes to reading the Bible is incredibly important, though, because the goal that we have determines how we will read the Bible. Now, when we read the Bible, the goal is not to know about God. That is not the goal of the Bible. The goal of the Bible is to know God. Okay, now there is a crucial difference between knowing God and knowing about God. Now, you can know about God and not know God. You can know facts and figures and history from the Bible and not know God. In fact, almost every single atheist who I've ever interacted with knew more about the Bible than many Christians. They knew more about the history of the Bible, how it came together, than many Christians even know. They knew all kinds of things about God and about the Bible, and yet they did not know God. And the Bible, like I said, is the primary way that we know who God is, what God is like, and God's plan for us. Now, here's a few cautions, because this is really important. When we come to the Bible, some of us come to the Bible, and we use it for a variety of different things. Some of us come to the Bible, and we see the Bible as a scientific textbook or a history book, simply to learn facts. Now, the reality is, is that the Bible is not a history book. It has history in it, but it is not a history book. It is not a philosophy book. It has philosophy in it, but it is not a philosophy book. It's not a scientific textbook. It's not a, a, about laws, although it has laws in it, and it speaks to science. In fact, students, high school students, one day you're going to sit in a college philosophy class, and the professor is going to ask you if you believe that Adam and Eve are real people. Here's the question that that professor is trying to get at. He is trying to get, he or she is trying to get at what is known as the historicity of the Bible. How historically accurate is it? Because the thinking is, if I can pull out one brick in the wall of the Bible and say this part is not true, then the whole thing isn't true. And so one of the things as a follower of Jesus that's incredibly important for you to understand, and if you check the next step email this week on the Connect card, we're going to send it to you, is how the Bible came together. 
I would love to spend a whole hour talking about that, but I don't have time for that today. But we're going to send to you how it came together. How is it that we have these 66 books, these 31,000 verses, written by numerous authors in three different languages over a thousand years through the inspiration of the Spirit on numerous countries, in numerous cultures, and yet it tells one overarching story. How is that possible? Well, it's possible through the text that we're looking at today. See, in 2 Timothy, when Paul writes to Timothy, this is, it's one of my favorite letters in the New Testament for this reason. At the end of his life, Paul writes this letter that is now 2 Timothy. And he writes it to Timothy about how to make it to the end of your faith. Because we've seen lots of people who, who start off in faith or they start off as a church leader and, and then they just flame out. They fall apart. They don't make it. And so Paul's whole point in 2 Timothy is how to get to the end of your life when Paul says, I have run the race, I have finished, I have left everything on the field, and I have finished everything that God called me to. Imagine laying on your deathbed and saying, I did everything that God called me to. I, I didn't miss a chance. I didn't leave anything left in the tank. I spent everything for God. That's what Paul writes in 2 Timothy. And one of the things that he writes about is the importance of the Bible. This is what it says in verse 13. He says, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, one of the things that Paul talks about in numerous letters is the evil people in the culture, the people around us, the, the deception within our culture. Now, here's what so many people will say in, in our culture today. Our, our world has never been this bad. That is not true at all. The New Testament has says in numerous places, it's awful. There is deception. There are deceivers. The New Testament scripture is not surprised at the difficulty that you and I encounter as we walk through life. The New Testament is like, oh my goodness, like I had no idea like that was going to happen. I did not see that coming in 2022. No, the New Testament, God, through the power of the Spirit, when he inspired scripture to be written, knew how hard following Jesus was would be. And Paul tells us the Bible keeps us from being deceived. The Bible is the test when we hear something, we ask ourselves, when we step back and say, the thing that I'm listening to, the thing that I'm reading, the thing that I desire to do, the thing that I feel like doing, is it good? Is it true? Is it godly? As important as our feelings are, as important as our desires are, we always have to step back and ask, is this feeling true? Is it godly? Is it good? Yeah, but I really want to do it. Okay, I, I really want to eat ice cream at 10 p.m. and lose weight. Is, is, is it true? Yeah, I really want it to be. I really... See, so what the Bible does is the Bible helps us to, to, to weed out deception in the messages we hear. And yet, the vast majority of us, let's just be honest, the vast majority of us as we scroll through social media, as we watch our favorite news program, we don't sit there and think, is this true? Is this good? Is this godly? We sit there and think, how could those people on the other side of the aisle be that dumb? And yet, when we read the Bible, when we hear something, when we're in our circle of friends, we need to go, wait, wait a minute. Is it true? Is it godly? Is it good? Does it help me to be more mature? 
Does it conform me to the image of Christ or does it just make me angry? Does it, does it just make me get to do what I want to do? See, there's a difference. And one of the reasons that you and I stop reading the Bible oftentimes is because it tells us things that we really don't want to hear, as we're going to see. And so Paul tells us, he says in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so scripture helps us to weed out deception, but then it also gives us wisdom to be saved. It changes us. Look at what he says in verse 16. One of the most important verses about the Bible in the Bible, okay? All scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God. Paul tells us where the Bible came from, that the Bible came from God. It is inspired by God, which means the Holy Spirit inspired and spoke through those who wrote the Bible. When Paul says all scripture, he is referring to all 66 books. And over and over throughout Scripture, the writers of Scripture knew they were writing Scripture. You read throughout the prophets, and they say, the Lord says, God says. Paul said numerous times that he was writing Scripture. Jesus told his disciples that they would write Scripture. Peter said that he and Paul were writing Scripture. So the writers of Scripture knew that when they wrote it, they didn't just dream it, they didn't imagine it. They knew that the Spirit was moving through them. It says God breathed, comes from the mouth of God. All 31,000 words in Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, over 1,500 years, 40 different authors. One theologian, Sinclair Ferguson, said, the Bible presents itself as both a divine and human book throughout. It is God's word, yet it was written by men. It is the word of God in the mouths of men. So when it says that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that's what that means. And so because of this, because the Bible is the inspired word of God, we also talk about it as a church that it is then true and authoritative for our lives. That when we read it, we believe it's true. We, regardless of, of how we feel about it, regardless of if we like it, it's authoritative, which means it can tell us no, it can tell us yes, It can push us out of our comfort zone. But then he says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul then tells us what the Bible does. He says, this is what the Bible does. And did you you pick up on it? He says, the Bible has one goal. It's not verse 16, it's verse 17. He says, so that the man or woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work. See, this verse is the purpose statement of the Bible. This is the whole mission of the Bible in one sentence. So when you and I open up the Bible, it has one goal for it, to equip the man or woman of God, for every good work so that they may be complete. Now, I grew up, I remember 20 years ago, sitting in a theology class and and thinking as I read through these verses that verse 16 was the purpose statement of the Bible, but it's not. The reason we know is that Paul, when he wrote this 2,000 years ago, in the Greek language, the phrase so that is what's known as a henoclause, which is 
the purpose statement. He does it in, in Romans. He, he does it in other books of the Bible. He does it in 1 Corinthians, where he uses this clause, and what follows is the purpose statement of what he's talking about. So when he says, so that, so anytime you see the word so that, the phrase so that in the scriptures, what follows is the purpose statement of whatever they're talking about. So Paul says the purpose of the Bible is for the man or woman of God to be complete. Now, throughout the New Testament, the writer James, the brother of Jesus, wrote that we should be complete, perfect, and lacking nothing. Mature, Jesus talks about it being whole, a complete person, lacking nothing. So when we read the Bible, the Bible is taking us to this place where we don't lack something, where we have all that we need to do all that God has called us to. That's what equipped for every good work means. The word equipped means provided whatever is necessary for the purpose, that you will have everything you need for what God calls you to. That you're not gonna run into something and be like, I have no idea what to do. And you read the Bible and you're like, I'm still lost. No, the Bible will give you everything that you need for what God has called you to. Everything that you need. So if you're like, well, I don't have everything I need over here, maybe God hasn't called you to that. So that you and I would be equipped. So when we read the Bible, when we open the Bible, if we come to it and we go, okay, I just, you know, I, I want to find some facts, I want to find some things, we may not find it. If we come to the Bible and just say, hey, I need some good advice, it has advice. But the Bible tells us that its goal is for you as the follower of Jesus, for me as the follower of Jesus, to be complete to be mature, lacking nothing, to be equipped for every good work that God calls us to. That's the goal of reading the Bible. That's the goal when we gather on a Sunday morning, when we sit in our community groups and kids and students, that's the goal. The goal is transformation, not information. Okay, so on a Sunday morning, you come in and go, man, like I, that just really wasn't like that deep of a sermon. Uh-huh, because that's not the goal. Sit in your community group. Man, like, that's just, you know, something deeper. It's not the goal. So where does that fit in? Where does advice fit in? Where does training fit in? Paul tells us that there are four tools that the Bible uses to get us to the place of maturity and completion to do every good work that God calls us to. Four tools. In verse 16, that Scripture is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Some translations say that it's useful for those things. So verse 17 is the purpose of the Bible. Verse 16 tells us the tools that the Bible uses to reach the purpose of the Bible. And if we confuse them, we'll actually miss out. Now, some of you maybe grew up in a church, like I did, where you grew up in a church where the most important thing about the Bible was teaching, was doctrine. This is the most important thing about the Bible. I remember sitting in hour-long sermons and, you know, all kinds of Greek and Hebrew words, and it was great information. People just taking pages and pages of notes. You know, everyone had their different colored highlighters and, and everything in their Bible and open Bibles. It was like a class. Well, that's one tool of the Bible. Now, if we come to the Bible just looking for that and, and ignore the other three tools of the Bible, do you know what we'll get? a big head. You'll just know a lot of things about the Bible. And do you know what? There's a lot of people 
on their way to spending eternity in hell who could score 100% on a Bible knowledge test. Which is scary. And Paul tells us that the Bible is useful for teaching, correcting. Some of you maybe grew up where, where rebuking was the only thing the Bible did. Maybe that's all you heard in church. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. We don't do that. Stop doing that. Good Christians don't do that. They don't wear that. They don't listen to that. They don't eat that. They don't drink that. They don't hang out with those people. Stop doing that. Now, the Bible does rebuke. Now, here's the reality. If you read the Bible and the Bible never rebukes you, never tells you no, you're, you're really ignoring the Bible. Okay? And it's possible to do that. It's possible to read this and go, yeah, you know, I don't really like that. I, I'm, obviously, I'm not supposed to love all my neighbors. There's that one. Obviously, I, I don't have to love that. I, you know, obviously, I, I don't need to, you know, they're obviously talking to rich people about being generous because I'm, so I don't have to be. We can find all kinds of things and all kinds of reasons not to follow anything in the Bible. And we do. We're really good at it. Anytime, anytime you read something in the Bible and say something like, yeah, but you're about to move into becoming a Pharisee, the people that Jesus like, spent the most time talking against. What you read in the Bible may be for somebody else. It may also just be for you. It may be for you. Because the Bible does rebuke us. And that's uncomfortable. That's not fun. But the Bible rebukes us. The Bible then also corrects us. The correction is showing us, what do we do with this rebuke? This is one of the things that we miss a lot of times, especially in church circles, because we're really good at telling people, like, what not to do. But the Bible then also tells us, like, what we should do with that rebuke. Like, how do we, what do we do next? And then training. It trains us. It gives us inspiration. It's advice. Now, some of us, now here's the thing. When you look at these four words, have you noticed that most Christians and most churches just like the first one and the last one? Like, we want lots of, like, really deep, like, Bible stuff, and then we want training. And if all we do is come to the Bible for training, we just see the Bible as kind of like this fortune cookie thing that we can just kind of take in. You're like, oh, that's really nice. Like, that, that's a really great, like, I can put that on a picture frame, wallpaper, like, you know, that's the secret, like, you know. But if we just go for the first and the last one, we have this really big head over here and, like, really good advice over here, but we may not live really holy lives in the middle. And so the Bible uses these four tools. I, Rick Warren, I, I love how he phrases this. He says these four tools, teaching shows us the path, Rebuking shows us how we get off the path. Correcting shows us how we get back on the path. And training shows us how to stay on the path. Okay, let me say that again, because these tools of the Bible, this is really important. Remember, the goal is to be equipped for every good work, to be mature, complete, lacking nothing. But these four tools get us there. Teaching shows us the path. Rebuking shows us how we get off the path. Correcting shows us how to get back on the path, and training shows us how to stay on the path. Now, let me ask you this. When you look at these four words, do you know which tool you like to have the most of in your spiritual life? It's, it's the biggest hammer in your toolbox. And you may have like a little 
tiny screwdriver that you got as a free gift as one of them. And if we ignore any of them, we don't get to verse 17. If we ignore any of the tools of the Bible, we don't become mature, complete, lacking nothing, and equipped and prepared for every good work. We'll miss it. We just focus on one of the tools or two of the tools. If the Bible never tells us no, if the Bible never gets us back on track, if the Bible never applies anything to our life, we won't be mature, complete, lacking nothing, and equipped for every good work. Over 150 years ago, D.L. Moody said, the purpose of the Bible is not to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. That's the purpose of the Bible. It's not to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. Jesus did not say, they will know you, that you're my followers, because you memorized all these verses. Jesus did not say, they will know that you are my followers because you knew all this stuff about the Bible. He said, they will know that you are my followers because you love one another. Well, what does it take to love one another? You gotta be changed. (laughs) There are some people, you're really hard to love. You have some people that are hard to love. See, for some of us, especially as we prepare for communion today, some of us maybe need to confess that we come to the Bible for not all the things the Bible gives us. Some of us read the Bible and and we ignore rebuke. And maybe you need to spend some time just confessing and saying, God, you know, I read the Bible and I I just, I ignore what the Spirit presses on. I I ignore when I, you know, because I really want to do that. I really want to look at that. I really want to, you know, make that be okay. Or sometimes we just ignore when the Spirit says, hey, you should take that step. You should go talk to that person. Hey, you should forgive that person. You're like, yeah, you know what? I'm just really good over here. I'm really good over here just being a really knowledgeable Christian that knows lots of things. I did four Bible studies this week. Some of us, as we prepare for communion, it's just to remind ourselves, do I take all the tools that the Bible has? Because if I don't, then I won't get all that the Bible promises And I won't become the man or woman or student that God has called and created me to be. See, why take communion? I mean, Paul tells us in verse 15 that the Bible is what gives us wisdom for salvation. We, We don't know that we need Jesus. We don't know that we're broken without the Bible. That's part of the teaching of the Bible teaching us to say, no, apart from Jesus, you're, you're broken. That's part of the rebuking, the correcting, but then the training, right, of not just leaving us there. I think it's amazing that the Bible uses all four of these things. It could, God could have just picked three of them or two of them. And yet these four tools that the Bible uses to grow us, to help us to become the man or woman that God has called and created us to be. And so as we come to the table to take communion, one of the things that is so important, and we're going to learn more about this in a few weeks when we talk about the practice and rhythm of confession, is to just take a moment to pause and to confess. 
And confession is really just tattletaling on yourself to God. That's really what confession is. It's just the moment to stop, to take stock of your week, to think through, are there places in my life that I need to confess? Are there things that I need to, to bring before my heavenly father? And to sit under his grace and to remind myself that I have grace. And so one of the things I would encourage you to do is, especially around this idea of confession today, is is there a tool that the Bible uses that, that you ignore that you need to confess to God? Maybe you just really like just getting the, the tweetable part of the Bible, the, the training and advice, and, and you just ignore the doctrine. And you need to confess that. Say, God, I need all the tools that the Bible has so that I can become who you've called and created me to be. Or maybe you got rebuked this week from the Bible or in your community group as you were going through questions and, and you ignored it. And you just need to confess that and say, God, I, you know, I totally ignored when that. See, rebuking comes through love. Correction comes through love. When the Bible rebukes us and when the Bible corrects us, that is God's love to us to move to where he wants us to be, to become who he's called us to be. It's not fun. It might hurt a little bit. But as we take communion, as we remind ourselves of the grace extended to us, we also remind ourselves that God's word is alive, that God's word is true, that God speaks to us. I mean, think about that. The God of the universe speaks to us through his words. He speaks to us. Paul says, when he speaks to us, we are given wisdom for salvation so that we can be the man or woman that is complete and equipped for every good work of God.